0: We're continuing our uh, what we call our essential series this morning, where we're just looking at uh, certain things that, as as a church uh, or the church throughout the history, has practiced, but isn't necessarily uh, got its roots out of out of the Bible, isn't necessarily scriptural. Um, and so we've looked at all different types of things, and uh, today we're going to kind of close out this uh, this uh, series. But uh, I got a question for you. Uh, this this is a little old and tattered, but uh, remember when airlines used to give these things out, right? This is Peanuts, Southwest. Uh, Peanuts, they do not give peanuts anymore. You get pretzels instead. But Southwest actually are one of the only companies out there now still give things out. But remember when you used to go on an airline, maybe you're not as old as I am, maybe, uh, you know, you, you, you just know airlines as it is right now. But but I remember going on airlines and uh, you would get a full meal. They would even give you like a little courtesy cookie. You know, you get a couple of drinks and things, you know, they would come. You can have coffee or tea whenever you want. You know, you would even, you know, they would put like a courtesy uh, little uh, 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 a paper thing on your, uh, on your headrest. So you didn't have to put your head where the person behind you uh, before you put their head. They would give you pillows and blankets. You don't get that anymore with with, with airlines. Everything is no frills these days. Well, I also remember the day and the time when uh, you used to often get free upgrades as well. I don't think I've ever heard of anybody in the last few years who have got an upgrade to first class or business class from coach. Maybe uh, if you are lucky enough, you've done that. But let me ask you a a question today. Throughout your life, has anybody in here ever got an upgrade? You went, you booked a a flight in coach, and you got, and you either asked for an upgrade or they just gave you an upgrade. Anyone? Anyone here? Okay. So, so some of you. So this is what I'm seeing. I'm seeing the older people in the room like that's happening, right? (laughs) And. So it just show it just doesn't happen anymore you know it rarely happens anymore uh, and, uh, and and if you've never seen first class on an airplane then uh, let, let me just show you what uh, the wonderful world of first class on an airplane is so this is Emirates. Airline, which is like voted all the time the best airline. This is first class, so you get your own little private cabin. Uh, that isn't just a, a tiny little like screen in front of you. That's like a, a full-on like HD TV screen. Let's go to the next uh, next one. I mean, we could do lots of these. Who wants to fly like that, right? That's how you want to fly. Well, if you want to fly like this, a flight on Emirates from New York to Dubai in first class is probably going to cost you between fifteen and twenty thousand. Who now wants to fly first class? Right? Yeah, yeah. (laughs) If someone else is paying for it, right. Well, I remember the day I got upgraded to first class. It was a wonderful day. It was in the year 2000, July 4th, 2000. And I was leaving Manchester, England, and I was flying uh, to St. Louis, Missouri. And uh, I, I arrived at the, uh, 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 at the airport, um, and I was coming over to do like a mini-internship for three months, uh, visit my sister while I was over here as well. Uh, and I got to the uh, uh, airport, and they had overbooked the flights. And they said, would you like to, instead of going today, go tomorrow, we will put you in a nice hotel and we will give you a free upgrade to first class. I'm like, sold. Take me. I'll do it. I'll do it. And so... I have to go through, uh, through security and, uh, the, you know, I'm not sure if I'm going today or tomorrow. But it doesn't matter. I'm going first class. You know, you're going transatlantic first class. So, so there I, 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 I get the, the uh, opportunity to sit in the first class lounge. And so, it's a wonderful experience. I'm sitting there, you know, having my fancy cookies and everything. And I'm looking at all the paupers walking by thinking, I'm better than you, you know. Uh, and then it's time for, for the flight and, and, I, and I go up to, to check. And, and actually, uh, they're, they're, some of the people who were uh, booked didn't turn up. So I was able to fly that day. So I lost the fancy hotel, but I still got to fly first class. So I walk on. It was great because like, we're the first ones to walk in. So we walk in before anybody else, you know, before the kids and their strollers and, you know, the screaming kids, before even the preferred rewards people, we walk in, we sit in the big chairs, you know, the, the the air hostess comes, gives you, you know, the hot towels and, you know, you've got a drink already before anyone else has even boarded. And then everyone else walks on the plane and they've got to walk right by you. And so you're in this big, you know, chair and everyone's walking by and you can imagine what they're thinking. What do they do? he do for a living, the fact that he got to go to first class, because I've thought that many times when I've walked past first class, Uh, and it was this wonderful experience, you know, you could ask for anything uh, that that, that you wanted, they would bring it to you, Um, it wasn't quite as nice as Emirates first class, I think in Emirates first class you can even book a shower before you land, that's pretty nice, right? But it was this wonderful experience, and I flew from Manchester, England into Philadelphia, and, uh, but the, the most amazing part of first class is this, especially on a transatlantic flight. You land, you get to, you taxi to, to the, 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 the jetty, and you get to get off first. I was just like, this is amazing. I don't have to wait at the back for 30 minutes while all these people collect their bags. And I'm like, get me out of this airplane. I got to go off first. It was a wonderful, wonderful experience. Three months later, I then had to come back to the United Kingdom. I flew from Philadelphia to, well, St. Louis to Philadelphia, Philadelphia to uh, Manchester, England. I was not as lucky this time. I had to sit in coach. And I'm sitting back in coach thinking, this isn't where I belong. (laughs) I belong at the front right there. That's where I belong. I should have had my hot towel right now. I should have had my drink, you know. No, I shouldn't be sitting back here. And and all along the journey for the next seven and a half, eight hours, I'm thinking, oh, this is horrible. I hate coach. I never want to fly coach again. But then after eight hours, we get there. And you know what? I get to exactly the same destination as I did if I'd flown first class. I still was able, the plane still took me where I was going. It didn't make a difference if I was in first class or coach. I still got to where I was going. And this experience, it reminds me so much of how many churches function. If the world in which we live in is the place that we are going as disciples of Jesus, Chris told us last week that Jesus told us to go and make disciples. And that word go means to go where you are going. To, to go to the place where, where, where you're just living your life. So wherever your life is taking you to go. So if, if the place, the destination we are going it, 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 it is the world around us, then when the church comes together, it's just the vehicle that helps us get there. It's the vehicle that encourages us and builds us up so that when we go, when we get there, we know what to do when we get there. Now, don't get me wrong. I loved first class. And I love a first class church experience. I don't think there's any excuse not not, not to have excellence in church. But when we invest more money, time, and resources into the vehicle rather than the destination, then something is off. See, I asked you a question. Who wants to go first class? Most of you want to put your hand up. But then I said, well, it's going to cost you 15 to 20,000 to fly Emirates New York to Dubai. Who wants to go now? Cora put her hand up. That's it. That's it. Because no one wants to invest all that money on a plane journey. You want to take that money and you want to invest it in the destination. What good is it if you go and fly first class But then you get to the destination, and you get to resort, and it's a roach-infested motel. There's no point. So why would you invest that money? See, a person going on a trip doesn't go on a trip just to be on the airplane. We call those people nerds, right? (laughs) If you just want to go on an airplane, then you're a little strange, to be honest, The airplane just takes them where they are going. And in the same way, Christians aren't part of a church just to please God and get together so we have a great church experience. Christians are part of a church so that we can be equipped and help equip others so that we can get to the place God is sending us. So this morning, this is what I want to do with that in mind and that kind of analogy of first class and coach in mind. I want us to take a look at three truths that I believe are essential to the church. Uh, and, And you know all these truths, but sometimes we can get a little off base with these things. So the first truth I want us to mention is this, is that the church is about people, not buildings, The church is about people and not buildings. Now, if I was to ask you, what is the church about? Is it about people or buildings? Most of you would say it's about people. Of course, it's about people, not buildings. But yet so often we spend so much of our time about the building and not the people. Look what happened in John chapter 4. In John chapter 4, Jesus is in a Samaritan village, and he goes to a well to to draw water, and there is a woman who is at the well, and she is withdrawing water from the well. This woman is a little outcast from the rest of uh, her, her her community. Uh, she's got a lot of things going, and she's got a lot of issues going on, a lot of relational issues. Uh, and Jesus comes to her, and he, he asks her to withdraw the water, which is a big no-no, because a Jewish man would never speak to a Samaritan woman. Uh, Uh, especially in open daylight. It just wouldn't have happened. Well, as Jesus starts talking to us, Jesus starts revealing things about her life to her. And suddenly she realized, wow, this Jesus must be a prophet. That's what she thinks. And so knowing this, she starts thinking in her mind, okay, I'm going to now ask Jesus some questions. Now, I'm sure all of you, if you've ever uh, thought about when we get to heaven, this is what I'm going to ask Jesus, right? This is what I'm going to ask God. Anyone had one of those moments like, you know, what, what, why does this happen? Why is there evil in the world? Why, what, why do innocent people have to die? You know, I mean, you've got these deep theological questions. Well, this is her chance. And this is what happens in this little conversation. In John chapter 4, verse 19, she said, Sir, the woman said. You must be a prophet. So tell me why is it that Jews insist that Jerusalem is the only place of worship why we Samaritans claim it is here at Mount Gerizim where our, our ancestors worshipped. Jesus replied, believe me dear woman, the time is coming when it will no longer matter whether you worship the Father on this mountain or in Jerusalem. You Samaritans know very little about the one you worship. While well, we Jews know all about him, for salvation comes to the Jews. But the time is coming, indeed it is here now, when true worshippers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. The Father is looking for those who will worship him that way. For God is spirit, so those who worship him must worship in spirit and in truth. So this woman comes to Jesus and says, Jesus, where is the correct place to worship? Where is the place we can meet with God? And then Jesus says, it's not in Jerusalem. It's not here on this mountain. For true worshippers, worship in spirit and in truth. It doesn't matter where you worship. Where do you go to church? I am going to church. We are running late for church. We have to get to church. We need to raise money because we need a new roof on the church. I am at church. I can't come with you because I have to go to church. When I was a kid, here's the church. There's a steeple. Open the doors. There's all the people. Church buildings are so ingrained into modern Christianity that when we think of a church, we think of a building. And churches that don 't have buildings well they 're just not really churches, are they in July of two thousand and thirteen, we moved into this building right here, and Raquel had seen a a pastor that we know uh, here in the area in a store and he found out that we were having this building. He goes, that's going to be great for you guys. He says, because if you have a building, people are going to come. He said, because a building means that people uh, think that you're legitimate. You need a building. And so your church is going to grow. For people will trust you. But then Jesus here says... Mm -mm. it's not about worshipping there or worshipping there. For true worshippers, worship in spirit and in truth. I've met so many people who, who, when they need God, they go to a church building. For they think that going to that place is a holy place. When we need God, we go to church because we think we need God and that's where God is. But yet, for the first 200 years of the church's existence, there was not one single church building ever recorded in history. 200 years. So how is it, if there were no church buildings in the first 200 years, now we've got to a point in modern Christianity where everything is about the church building. For there is something about people of faith that desire to go to a place to worship whether you're a Christian maybe you might be a Muslim what the the, the Muslims do they believe that they have to bow down towards Mecca to pray to God to me that sounds a little crazy but that's what they believe But there were many Christians who who believe, if I go to church, I have to go to church to meet God. I have to go to a building to meet God. As if going to one place is more holy than another. But the truth is, not one place is more holy than another. Yet churches set up these places and invest most of their resources in them so people have a place that they can come and worship God. And the Samaritan woman was looking for that place. See, the Jews always believed that Jerusalem and the temple of Jerusalem was the place where God met with man. And if you wanted to worship God and bring sacrifices to God, you better do it in Jerusalem. The Samaritans didn't believe that. They believed that uh, on a mount called Mount Gerizim, that that is the place where God met with man. Actually, that is the place where in the Bible, Jacob's well was and, uh, and the story of Jacob and Jacob meeting with God. And so they believed that. They believed that so much that they built a temple on this mountain. But then the Jews came along and the Jews weren't very happy with them because they said, you got it all wrong. It's Jerusalem. We're going to destroy your temple. And so they tore down the temple. And then Jesus comes along and says, it's not about this place. It's not about that place. For true worshippers worship through their spirits, not through a holy place. Now, Living in the Baltimore area, Southwest, right? Southwest Airlines, you know, we got a hub in Baltimore. And, and, and I've discovered in the 12 years I've lived in this area that there are such people that I'm now dis- now called Southwest snobs. Southwest snobs. People wear it a badge of honor on, on, on their chest that I fly Southwest. Like, I will not fly any other airline. I fly Southwest. You fly Spirit? <laughs> I fly Southwest. Frontier, no way. I fly Southwest. Uh, I don't fly American or United. I fly Southwest. Right, and maybe we got some of those here in the in you know in, in church today, but but I, I find it funny that we have this. I fly Southwest. I'm like Southwest ain't Emirates. You know, Southwest is a budget airline, people. You know, it's like it's not all that. But we. Come to a place where it's like, I fly southwest. And it's so much like so many Christians today. I go to that church. You go to that church. You go there. You go there. (laughs) Well, I go to this church right here. And that's what so many people are, are like. Where it's all about the building. Oh, you worship God in that little shack over there? Well, I worship God in this cathedral over there. And what happens is we put the building before the people. Actually, here, even at Generation Church, just to be totally transparent with you, 65% of our budget is invested into the three buildings that we have here on this campus each month. Just imagine for a moment, just go, go with me. Imagine for the moment if we were able to take that 65% of our budget And instead of investing it in buildings, investing it in people who could go to a destination and then reach more people for Jesus Christ. See, many people will say, well, it's the building that draws people in. But I will say, no, the Bible actually teaches that's the people going out making disciples are the ones then who make disciples. It's not the building. I believe if that was to happen, That we would go from being temple worshippers to being true worshippers who the Father is well pleased. For the church is not, it's about people, it's not about buildings. The second truth I want to share with you today is this. The church is an organism, not an organization. The church is an organism, not an organization. 1 Peter chapter 2. I read from this a couple of weeks ago, but I wanted to share it again. 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 5, it says this. Peter tells the the Peter's writing to a lot of the Jewish people who are spread out all over the the Roman Empire. And this is what he says, you are living stones that God is building into his spiritual temple. What's more, you are his holy priests. Through the mediation of Jesus Christ, you offer spiritual sacrifices that please God. So Peter here is saying that there is a building, but the building isn't made up of bricks and mortar. The building is made up of people and you are the living stones of that building. And then he says this in in verse 9, just to come down a few verses. He says, For you are a chosen people, you are royal priests, a holy nation, God's very own possession. As a result, you can show others the goodness of God, for he called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. So there, Peter is saying that the church, the church is a people. The church is a nation. It it is made up of, of royal priests, of people. Now, i got another confession for you this morning. If you ever go on vacation with me, do not bring an itinerary. Now, there are people, when they go on, va- on vacation, they list out everything that they are going to do to the T. I met someone once who took a trip to Scotland in England and England, and no joke, they had it down to every 10 minutes of the day, itinerary. This is what we're doing here. We've got to leave here and go there to do this and everything. So we see everything. To me, that is not a vacation, that's a trip. See, a vacation to me is something that is going to fill me with life and refresh my soul. And if you tell me I have to be somewhere at a certain time on vacation, I'm not going to be very happy. This is a vacation to me. I wake up. I can do whatever I want, whatever time I want to do it. I've discovered since having a child, it's very hard to take vacations. Because you just can't do that anymore. It's like you have to still keep on certain schedules. But there are people, they will list everything out on their vacation. That's why we went to Disney last year. I'm like, I'm never doing Disney ever again. And guess what? I will probably do Disney again because it's not refreshing see I believe it's important to organize for without it you get a mess and you get confusion but there is a problem when keeping everything in order becomes more important than experiencing the life when that happens you have created an organization that will eventually kill the organism See, I find it funny people on vacation who have all these itineraries. They'll be like, okay, we saw this. Okay, we got to leave right now to go see something else. But then you're like, but I'm enjoying this. You know, I'm having a good time. I want to I wanna see more of, of this. I want to experience more of this. No, 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 no. We got to keep to the itinerary. And when that happens, it's like the joy just comes out of it. And Peter here calls the church living stones. He is saying the church is a living organism that plays a vital function in the lives of people. Notice here, Peter does not call the church a denomination. He does not call the church a nonprofit. Neither does he call the church a a 503C organization. He doesn't call it a place. He doesn't call it a building. He doesn't even call it a place of worship. For we are not defined as an organization, but we are defined as living stones and organism. What this means, if that is true, what this means when one is broken, we all feel broken. When one falls, we all fall. When one is hurt, we all hurt. When one rejoices, we all rejoice. See, our role as a church is not to show the world how great of a show we can put on or how much we can champion a cause. That's what nonprofits do. Our role is to bring life to the world by taking the kingdom of God everywhere we go. That is the role of the church. It's not about how well we can create a Sunday morning experience so that you can invite your friends in the hope that they will hear a message and get saved. That's not the purpose of the church. It's about building each other up so that you can take the life of Christ to them so that your friends and your family will have an experience like the woman at the well who just in their everyday life was just going to do an everyday task and suddenly she encountered Jesus. That is what we are as living stones supposed to do. Chris said it last week, take Jesus wherever we go. The church is not an organization. It's an organism. And finally, very quickly today, the church is unique, not uniformed. The church is unique. Not uniformed. I'm going to read a a little passage of scripture that's found in 1 Corinthians chapter 14. If you've been around church a long time, you're probably going to be familiar with this. If you haven't been around church for a while, then this is going to sound a little weird to you, okay? But let me just read it first and then explain. In 1 Corinthians chapter 14, the Apostle Paul is writing to a church in the city of Corinth, and uh, this is what he says Well, my brothers and sisters, let's summarize. When you meet together, one will sing, another will teach, another will tell some special revelation. God has given, uh, God has given, one will speak in tongues, the special revelation God has given. One will speak in tongues, another will interpret what is said. But everything that is done must strengthen all of you. No more than two or three should speak in tongues. Then speak one at a time, and someone must interpret what they say. But if one is present, who can interpret? They must be silent in your church meeting and speak in tongues to God privately. Let two or three pe- people prophesy, and let others evaluate what is said. But if someone is prophesying and another another person receives a revelation from the Lord, the one who is speaking must stop. In the same way, all who prophesy will have a turn to speak one after the other so that everyone will learn and be encouraged. Remember that people who prophesy are in control of their spirit and can take turns. For God is not a God of disorder but of peace, as in all the meetings of God's holy people. Then this is the, the verse... That I wish was never in the Bible. It says this woman women should be silent during the church meetings. Paul obviously had never met my wife. But <laughs> it isn't don't tell her that. <laughs> She's in kids church today. Do not It is not proper proper for them to speak. They should be submissive just as the law says. If they have any questions, they should ask their husbands at home for it is improper for women to speak in church meetings. Or do you think God's word originated with you, Corinthians? Uh, Are you the only ones to whom it was given? If you claim to be a prophet or think you are spiritual, you should recognize that what I'm saying is a command from the Lord himself. But if you do not recognize this, you yourselves will, be, uh, will not be recognized. So, my dear brothers and sisters, be eager to prophesy and don't forbid speaking in tongues. But be sure that everything is done properly and in order. Now, there was a lot in that. Sounds like that church meeting is just very different to our church meeting here. Sounds like that church meeting is very different to a lot of different church meetings in the world. But there is something strange about the modern contemporary worship experience the preacher may be different, the worship leader may be different, the songs may be different, the dress code may be different, the building may be different. But the strange thing is this. You go into any modern worship experience and it kind of just feels the same. You come in, you sing some songs, you have someone give announcements, you sing some more songs, maybe you might take communion, maybe you might have some people pray, someone gives a, 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 a teaching some, some, some churches will, will then have what they call an altar call. But, and then everyone goes home. It kind of feels the same. But if we are a living organism, not an organization, and it is about the people and not the building, then shouldn't each church be uniquely different? As each church would have a distinct personality. However, What we find, instead, we find many churches look at a church in Sydney, Australia and says, you know what, we should be like that. Or someone else looks at a church in Charlotte, North Carolina and says, you know, no, we should be like that. Or some other people says, no, we want to be like a church in Alpharetta, Georgia. We should be like this. And then even a church in Rome starts to tell everybody else around the world, no, your church service should look exactly like our church service, even though we don't speak English. A distinct personality. Now, when Paul wrote to the Corinthians, the Corinthian church were a mess. I'm serious. They were like a mess. There was immorality going on. There was all this chatting going on through their services. There was no order. Some people were speaking in tongues. Some were talking when others were talking. You know, it's like a family dinner table, right? You know, I mean, it's just everyone just going on. There was no order at all in what was was going on. And Paul heard about this. So Paul decided to write a letter to the Corinthians and give them a map or a road map in order to have a ordered church service where everybody's heard. What was happening, uh, a, a lot of the women were just talking over everybody else and they were gossiping. And, 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 and it was causing divisions in the church. So this is what Paul said to the Corinthians. He goes, okay, this is what we're going to do. He says, right. He says, okay, one person's going to speak when that person's finished. Then another person can speak. If they're speaking in tongues, he says, You're not just gonna speak in tongues for the whole church service. That's a little strange. He goes, We're gonna have we, we, you, you'll have one person who'll speak in tongues, and then one person's gonna interpret. If there's no one there to interpret that tongue, then keep it to yourself. That's what he's saying. And he said, and the ladies, he says, I'm sorry, ladies, but to keep order in this church. Please just be quiet. If you have stuff that you need to say, go speak to your husband. It's what Paul is saying. But this is what the problem has happened. We've taken what Paul was saying to a unique situation in Corinthians, and we've devised denominations out of it. We've devised church services out of it. We've even made theological statements like women should not speak in church. But notice Paul never said this to the Roman church. Notice Paul never said this to the church at Ephesus, or to the Galatians, or to the Colossians, or to the Philippians, or to the Thessalonians. See, this was a unique situation to the Corinthian church. See, when a church tries to be uniformed instead of unique, it is the equivalent of of someone being a celebrity lookalike it looks close but you look a little closer you're like that ain't the real deal how many elvis impersonators are there there elvis is dead people and that's what so often it is when we try to be uniforms now notice i didn't say not united we are united but when we all try to be like each other, I remember growing up in, in, in church and one of the things people used to come into our church who, who were kind of a little rough around the edges, they didn't know Jesus. And the first thing that we tried to do, we tried to make them to look like us. But Jesus never did that. Jesus went to them in their environments and he loved on them and he spoke true to them. And then he says, okay, now, now go sin no more. Because Jesus understood that everyone is unique and has a unique personality. And a church is the same. It's unique, not uniformed. So if we are on a journey as believers of Jesus to go to the places that we're going, where we are to go and make disciples, then I wonder where we should invest our resources, our time and our energy. Should we invest in upgrading the vehicle to first class or invest in the destination? Should we put more time into being a better organization or give more time to be in a healthier organism? Should we put our energy into being uniformed? So that we don't seem weird or make people feel uncomfortable when they come into a church service. Or should we put our energy into developing the unique personality and gifts that God has given each and every one of us? See, the church is about people, not buildings. The church is an organism, not an organization. The church is unique, not uniformed. Let's bow our heads in prayer. So where your heads are bowed and your eyes are closed this morning. Just want to let you know kind of where my heart is this morning. Because my heart has changed a lot over the last 10 years. Where I would have always said, yeah, the church is about people, not buildings. But yet... I would have always preferred a building over people. Sadly to say. I would have always said, yes, the church is an organism, not an organization. But I would have always probably spent more time developing the organization than creating a healthy organism. I probably would have, and I know I did, look at other places And think, oh, we just got to do that. We got to do it like that. And be uniformed. Instead of developing the gifts that God has in the unique people who are part of a community, a church community. And so my heart has changed a lot over the last 10 years. Where this building that we're in, I got no allegiance to this building trying to be the best and the biggest and the baddest baddest organization, have no interest in that anymore. Looking at what other churches are doing and everyone else is doing, don't really care anymore. Because I've understood it's about people and developing people and growing people and developing a community that together we can go into a world and we can shine a light It's not about bringing people into a church building so that they can get saved. It's about taking this life and the salvation of Jesus to them. And so in this place this morning, we're just going to pray before we dismiss. And as we pray, I just want you to search your heart this morning. What is your view of church What is your view of buildings over people? What place do you have to play as being a living stone in the church God is building? How can you use your unique gifts and talents to make us unique as God is leading us? So Father God, this morning we thank you for the church of Jesus Christ. We thank you for this incredible living organism that you created. That you call your bride. Father, our desire here, just a generation, and I'm sure many churches around the world, is just to make your bride beautiful to those that God loves. So that they can experience you. And so this morning, God, we pray that you will help us to not focus on buildings, not focus on on holy places, but to focus on people. Help us, Lord Jesus, not to be so consumed with organizing and putting on something that's great at the expense of an unhealthy organism. Father, make us healthy. Father, we pray today that you will help us, that we will develop our unique gifts and personalities, Lord, that you will lead us and we will hear the Spirit's leading and discern where you are taking us and wanting us to go and do in the unique way that you have created this community, this church, this community of So this morning, God, we want to be obedient to you. We want to look to you. And Lord, we we want our eyes to be on the prize. And that is the high calling of God. And so this morning, we pray that you will help us, Lord, to become passionate about you and passionate about your people and passionate about taking your truth and your life and your salvation and your grace and your mercy and your peace and your hope. Lord, in your love to the people that we meet every day, that we may be able to take the kingdom of God and take Jesus with us wherever we may go. So Lord, we pray that you'll help us do that. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen.